A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and uh, this episode of Jewish History Soundbites on the Maharal is sponsored by Short Machshava on the Daf, a project of Machshavas Yecheskel, the Short Machshava Shir, aims to give an understanding of the Agadatah Machshava of every daf in Shas following the daf schedule, which adds a new depth to the daf It is given by Rabbi Yecheskel Hartman, a Talmud of Rabbi Meshach Shapiro Zatzal, and a Magid Shir in Lawrence, New York. It's available on machshevesyecheskel.com. It's available on all major podcast platforms, on Torah Anytime, on all daf, which is, you know, I'm a big fan of that website in general. So I have great Daf Yoemi stuff, so Machshava on the Daf is there as well. I will, of course, post all the links and information and the text accompanying this episode, as well as on the Jewish History Soundbite social media platforms for everyone to benefit from. I enjoyed immensely myself and highly recommended for all Jewish History Soundbites listeners, as I'm sure that many of uh, the listeners would enjoy it as well. Um, Rebbe Yecheskel Hartman is very knowledgeable, his sources all over the place, he's quoting Zayars and Marals and Reb Tzadiks and the Alta Rebbe and so many more, so clear, concise, great message each time, and most importantly to me, it's, it's very clear, very good listen. Um, I also want to mention that we had uh, the Rebbe Victor Miller episode just last week, and it was part one, and the Rebbe Victor Miller series is continuing Later this week and next week with parts two and three, it's uh, in the works as we speak. So I just wanted to mention that that keep keep uh, keep stay tuned for that. It's coming up very soon. I'm getting great feedback in the meantime from part one, so I'm really looking forward to the new next two installments about the story and the life of Rabbi Victor Miller, incredible uh, leader. And we'll get back to that uh, right after the Maharal. Uh, also, before again we get to the Maharal, I saw on the news that Estelle Harris died, Estelle Costanza. She has some serenity now. Now back to the Maharal, Maharal of Prague, who's more legend than more legend and the Torah of the Maharal than a historical personality. Um, so so immense the the who the Maharal was, and it's also a bit further back, it's about 500 years ago, a bit further back than what we usually do here on uh, Jewish History Soundbites, which makes it more interesting, a little diversity here. Uh, I also just saw on the news uh, recently 
um, that uh, a new sefer of Drushes, of Shabbos HaGadol, of the Maral, uh, of Prague, edited by Rabbi Yeshua David Hartman, published by Machayin Yerushalayim, just came out now. There's always new Taira from the Maral. It's fascinating. They're republishing uh, old stuff and and new things. It's 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 an Im- immense uh, work. Um, so many Sfarim. His legacy just seems to be keep growing, and there's this new recent interest in his Torah in recent decades, so it's a perfect time to figure out who this person was behind the popular Torah and to understand the world that he lived in and operated in and wrote it. And very often we are so delved into someone's uh, Torah scholarship that we forget the person and the times he lived in, and I think that's a very um, valid and interesting story as well. The Maharal is Rabbi Hudalovi, the Ben Bitzalel, uh, some, he was born somewhere around the year 1512. And it's not exactly clear which year. And he passed away in the year 1609. So lived a very long life. And his Torah is referred to as Machshava, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. It's Jewish thought. Is it is it mystical? Is it Kabbalah? Is it something in between? It's definitely... Uh, about seeking the MS, the truth, and honestly, I have no idea because I'm not proficient in his Torah or his thought system, but it's very popular. And perhaps if we explore his life and his community and the general society in which he lived and operated, it can perhaps shed some light in, uh, on his incredible Torah output, and therefore it will be appreciated even more. A central component of his Torah legacy is that he opened up new worlds in depth and meaning and faith and in the holidays of the year, in the mitzvahs that we do, in the inner inner uh, spiritual life uh, that a Jew is to live. And his legacy lasted through the centuries. You know, in the Sharblat, the opening page of the Tanya, uh, the Alter Rebbe who wrote the Sharblat, he says that the Torah in the, that he's about to expound upon in the Tanya is, Mi pi Sfarim Mi pi uh, And the Sfarim that he used is uh, attributed to the Maharal and the Shlach Kaddish. So, you know, he had a decisive influence on primarily on the later Hasidic movement, uh, the Kajnitzer Magid, the Ishbitzer, the Kotzker, especially later on the Svasemes, Reb Tzadik, and even in the uh, the non-Hasidic world, the Vilna Gain and his school uh, of thought and his Torah, and later on... Um, in the last, you know, last century, you had Rav Cook was especially very, um, you know, pr- pr- you know, expounded, excuse me, on the Torah of the Maral, Rav Yitzhak Hutner, and then in our own generation, Rav Moshe Shapiro, and so many more. Um, and I, I do trips to Prague, and we definitely the Maral is a central part of that trip. So I'm going to relate a lot of what I say on those trips. Uh, we go to the Maral's uh, grave in this old. Prague Jewish Cemetery, we go to the old shul, the Altnay shul, um, where the Maral Davin, it was it's sometimes referred to as his shul, it preceded him by centuries and uh, remained after him for centuries, but he definitely did Davin there. They even have the place where he uh, allegedly Davin is uh, chained off or roped off in the front of the shul, the front right of the shul today, when you go into the Altnay shul. Uh, the non-Jews uh, of Prague, uh, they commemorated him by this bizarre-looking statue in their new town hall that was built in the early 1900s um, and uh, has absolutely no relation to what the Mahara looked like. Just, so, but, but the fact that they even made it to commemorate him is, is interesting. 
Um, I recently was in Prague just uh, about a month ago for Shabbos. It was with a great group, and we really explored this story. So Maral is, for some, too distant and unrelatable. Uh, a couple of people on that recent trip a month ago mentioned to me that they connect more to the Neide Yehuda, a much later Rav of Prague, Becheskel Landau, than they did to the Maral, who's much further back. And, uh, of course, there was also a couple of people on the trip who were more excited uh, to see Shear as Kevr Shlomir, the report than anything else. So each to their own, as they say. But um, I want to go through several points in context, which are often overlooked when discussing the Maral, and which, in my opinion, paint a much richer picture of him and his life and adds nuance and depth to his creativity and accomplishments. Um, the First of all, the general society of his day. He lives in Central Europe. I mean, not his whole life. We'll speak about where he lived in, uh, soon. But um, the Holy Roman Empire, um, which was, you know, historians say, of course, it was not holy. It wasn't Roman and it wasn't an empire, but it was referred to as such for nearly a millennium, um, close to a thousand years in the Central Europe, the Germanic-speaking lands of, 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 of what's now Germany, Austria, Czech Republic, those areas, and beyond, uh, Hungary. Um, and at the time of the, of the later life of the Maral, the one who's the emperor, is Emperor Rudolf II, who succeeds his father, Emperor Maximilian II, as the Holy Roman uh, uh, Emperor. Uh, and uh, he is someone who is, in many ways, unsuccessful politically and diplomatically, Loses a bunch of wars. He was reclusive. He kept himself. Um, to, according to many historians, he his policies led directly into the Thirty Years' War, which was a devastating, destructive war that destroyed Central Europe. Um, he was a big supporter of the sciences and of the occult sciences, the pseudosciences of alchemy and astrology, and uh, um, which was in those days uh, accepted somewhat as mainstream science, believe it or not, in the, at, that, at that time. And um, he was a big patron of the arts. Um, he he invited um, the great astronomers, Tycho Brahe and Johannes Kepler, and to, to his court. He had a mystical reputation and an amazing collection of all kinds of interesting art and all things related to astrology and things like that. Um, and uh, and that contributed to the mystique of Prague. He moves the royal court to Prague from Vienna in 1583. So you're talking about in the last three decades of the Maral's life, the royal court of the Holy Roman Empire is in Prague, is next door. The emperor lives in the Prague castle right across the Charles Bridge, uh, and, and it's there, it's present. And this whole mysterious and kind of interesting emperor uh, lends itself to to what you know the reputation, the mystical reputation that that Prague uh, eventually has. Uh, Emperor Rudolf dies in sixteen twelve. He never got married. He um, also is known for his tolerance for other religions, um, for Protestants. You remember this is a less than a century after the Protestant Reformation. Um, the Later on, when the Habsburg uh, you know, Empire, the Austrian Empire, would, would gain in strength, then it would, there would not be much tolerance for Protestants. It would be very, very Catholic. So his tolerance for religions extended to Judaism as well. Um, and he even invited the Maral, we'll see, at one point to his court to meet him. 
Um, so on one hand, he's incompetent. On one hand, he's mystical. On one hand, he's tolerant. And there's a lot about him that, uh, that, uh, that, that lends to, that it has an impact on the society at the time. Of course, what, what's going on in the Jewish world of the Maral's time? It's in Central Europe. Again, it's not Eastern Europe. Um, in Central Europe, there's, uh, this is the time of the decline of Ashkenaz, the 1500s. This is past the prime of the, the Germanic um, rabbinical leadership that had been for centuries, Germanic and French Ashkenaz leadership for centuries, the time period of the Rishonim. And it's the beginning of the rise of Poland in Eastern Europe, the Ramah and the Marshal. And prior to that, Rav Shalom Shachna and others, and the great centers of Tyra has shifted east to the Polish kingdom. The expulsion from Spain caused the Spanish diaspora to go all over the Jewish world. That's what's happening in the 16th century as well. The rise of Tzfas and Arizal is the center of Kabbalah and new new ideas in Kabbalah. So there's a lot going on. Um, this is that you know, like I said, the Protestant Reformation is in the background. Um, the Renaissance is already the end of the age of the Renaissance and their effect that had on the Jewish people, um, specifically in Prague of his day. Prague, there was no Czech Republic, obviously, at that time. It's Bohemia, Bohemia. Um, and uh, just another word about Bohemia and, and Prague, Jan Hus, who preceded the Protestant Reformation, he preceded Martin Luther by uh, over a century. And he's the first one to challenge the supremacy and, and outright speak of the corruption within the Catholic Church, and he's burned at the stake as a result, and his legacy, and is seen as a hero in, in Prague, in Bohemia, and in, and in Prague, and in the Czech lands, in Bohemia, there's a Hussite, as they were known as, in other words, reformists, anti-Catholic, non-Catholic, they're the majority, and only later, with the again the rise of the Habsburgs, when they implement a very strong Catholic uh, identity in these lands, does it change? That happens only in the 1600s, and primarily as a result of the Thirty Years' War and the Peace of Westphalia in 1648. But that's world history, European history. I'm not going to get into that. But but the influence, meaning it's it's a, a place that is not as Catholic as we would think at this time during the time of the Maharal. Um, and that, that also is important to keep in the background. Um, so, in fact, when we go to the main square in the old town of Prague on our tours, and of course we check out the astronomical clock uh, at the old uh, town hall, but there's this massive, tremendous statue of Jan Hus Memorial in the main square that was built in the early 1900s, kind of in defiance of the Habsburgs. Um, so that's that's again it's 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 important to keep that in the background. So Jewish Prague, it's the an ancient Jewish community, it's an old prestigious Jewish community, the Altnay Shul, which is built in 1270 and is the oldest continuous use shul in Europe today. It is um, it's not even the oldest shul in Prague at the time. There's the Alta Shul, the even older shul that they had. So this is a very ancient Jewish community. Is the at the time of the Maharal, it was at its golden age. It was the largest Jewish community in Europe. It was the most prestigious. It was a wealthy Jewish community. It was very influential. There was a fellow who lived at the Maharal's time named Mordechai Meizel, who was the head of the Kahal, who was the head of the Jewish community, very, very wealthy. And he built up the Prague Jewish community. It was during this golden age and other great rabbis who lived 
in Prague during the time of the Maral and its golden age, the Kliyakar of Shleim Ephraim Lunchitz, who also arrived from Poland, Rabbi Shai Horovitz, the Shlach Kodesh, Rabbi Mordechai Yafe, the Levush, and many, many others. And there's these incredible shuls of Prague, all of which exist, not only the Altmei shul, the Kloy shul, the Pinkus, the Maizel shul, the Heiche shul, there's the Kahal building, which still exists, there's the flag that the, the emperor allows the Prague Jewish community to have their own flag, which uses the Jewish star. It's a very, very central area. And that is where the Maral comes to be associated with and lives for a chunk of his life, not the majority of his life, surprisingly. And this all provides the background, the circumstances of where the Maharal was. So if we go into the life of the Maral itself, so it seems that he was born in Poznan, which was then in, in Poland. Today it's in Poland also. For a time it was in Germany. Um, and he was bo- born to immigrants from Germany, from Ashkenaz, which was the general trend at the time. People were moving east, away from Ashkenaz, away from the German lands, and east into the Polish kingdom, which was going through its golden age as a great place for the Jewish people to be and settle and and, uh, and, and uh, he was born into a very prestigious family. His older brothers were rabbis as well. It seems that he studied for a time in the great yeshivas of Poland, which was then in its heyday. But for the most part, he was a self-taught individual, and he studied on his own, and emerging as a tremendous uh, Torah scholar, uh, respected and you know very quickly became renowned as such. And he was appointed um, the rabbi in Poznan, his place of birth, his hometown, um, in Poland, he was the rabbi in Nikolsburg, in Moravia. He was the rabbi later on in Prague, which is Bohemia, so he got himself around. He was known as a rabbi, as a Paisic, as a Talmud Chacham. He was also known as a very effective leader of the Jewish people in leadership positions. He also became known in his own lifetime. Again, the printing press is relatively new. This is the 16th century, and yet the Maral publishes many of his own Sfarim in his lifetime, and they become... Uh, used and well-known in his own lifetime. So again, we know today, we know him today through his Sepharim and very wide, diverse subjects and many, many Sepharim. So many of them are published in his own lifetime. Um, and, uh, And he's also known as a Kabbalist, as a mystic. He's also known as an original thinker, a philosopher. In Jewish philosophy, in general philosophy knowledge, scientific knowledge, astronomy, all kinds of sciences. He was in, in absolutely fascinating, the breadth of his knowledge and his interests. And he's somewhat a bridge between medieval times and the dawn of the modern era. And I think this is a crucial point to understand about the Maral. He's a bridge between medieval Jewish thought and the Renaissance, especially the Renaissance of Kabbalah, the Arizal, who's at the same time as him. He's at the bridge between the Rishainim and the Achreinim. He's a bridge between Western and Eastern Europe, being that he operates in Central Europe with the decline of Western Europe and the rise of Poland. He is really something of a crossroads in so many ways. He he stands at a crossroads of Jewish history. In 1553, he assumes his first rabbinical position in Nikolsburg, where he exhibits strong leadership, he makes takanis in the Altmai Shul, in fact, in Prague, later on in his life. In fact, when you go to the Altmai Shul today, you still see a document hanging on the wall of many of his takanis from his, his later career, from his Prague days, takanis that he made for the Kahal of Prague. 
Um, so he already started making takanas, you know, all kinds of rules and bylaws of the kahal in Nicholsburg to fix up what he believed needed to be maintained for a structured uh, communal Jewish life in Nicholsburg, which is the capital of Moravia. It was a very prestigious rabbinical position. And he remained there for 20 years. It's a long time. It was only in 1573 that he moves to Prague for the first time, and he does so as a private citizen. Um, he was not invited as the rabbi. He eventually established some sort of yeshiva in the Kloiz Shul, um, right off of the Jewish cemetery when you go into the old uh, Prague Jewish quarter. And But he implements a different style of Talmudic study than the prevalent and accepted Pilpul method, which had been popularized in Poland the century earlier, and which had gained wide acceptance, and which of which he was very critical of. He was very critical and very vocally critical of. So his yeshiva studied differently, and his yeshiva was markedly different from the other ones at the time. During this time, he also founded the Hever Kadisha of Prague and wrote the Protocol and Bylaws. He also began to write and publish his early Sfar. There was a printing press in Prague, of course, like I said, it was a very wealthy and prestigious Jewish community in its golden age, so there was also a printing press there at the time, and some of his farm he printed locally in Prague, some of them, because of different circumstances, he published in other cities. He almost became the rabbi in Prague at this time, but ultimately he was not appointed, went to a relative of his, from his first wife, he was married uh, twice, um, his first wife passed away, married a second time. Um, he left town, he left Prague in 1583, and returns to his hometown of Poznan, where there he is appointed the rabbi. In about, uh, about four or five years later, in 1588, he returns to Prague for a second time. And again, he's not appointed as rabbi or any other official position, yet by now he was world-renowned and considered a very prestigious rabbinical leader, and he's considered one of the uh, uh, one of the leadership people uh, in an unofficial capacity of Europe's largest and most important Jewish community. Uh, and he continues to publish. He's writing his farm, he's publishing his works, he's invited at this time for an audience with Emperor Rudolf II. Um, which you know we don't know what was, went on. Of course, there doesn't didn't stop the uh, folklorists from making up all kinds of stories about what went on in that conversation with the emperor. But uh, it seems that we don't actually know what they uh, conversed about. But it does. It's, it's evident that the emperor had respect for the Maral by inviting him for an audience. And uh, like I said, he was tolerant in general towards the needs of the Jewish community as he was of religion in general. Um, it seems that the Maral was very outspoken in his views on social issues, caring for the poor, criticism of the Kahal leadership and elitist, elitism, and the establishment and other such social issues of Jewish communal life at the time, taking a strong stand and vocal stand where he felt it was necessary. This aspect of the Maral's life, I think, is particularly important as it highlights his leadership and dealing with people and dealing with the community and dealing with all the strata of Jewish society, and it's not limited to his rabbinic scholarship, whether in the classical sense or mystical sense, which he's not so remembered for today because he's viewed through the prism of his Torah and his Sfarim. And here we have him as he's emerging as a real leader of, of the Jewish people and of the community. In 1592, he returns yet again to Poznan, leaving Prague. And over there in Poznan, he opens the yeshiva where he taught, and he sort of traded places with another famous rabbi of the time, with, all, well, with also a very interesting life story, and that was Mordechai Yaffe, the Levush, the one who wrote the, the, the most important uh, halachic works, the Levushim, 
um, on Shulchan Aruch. And uh, the Levush was the rabbi in Prague during this time. And then when the Maral returns to Prague, the Levush becomes the rabbi in Poznan. So they kind of like traded places. And, and uh, you know, the, and, 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 uh, the Maral returns to Prague for the third and final time in 1597. And that's where he remained for the rest of his life until his passing in 1609. And shortly thereafter, the Levush left Prague and was appointed rabbi of Poznan. And there's kinds of stories of the relationship that the two of them had. But either way, the, the fi- this final time the Maral stay in Prague, he was finally appointed to an official position as the Av Bezdin, the head of the rabbinical court in the city, and as a Rosh Yeshiva, head of the local Yeshiva. He was already quite elderly at this time, and a few years later, he retired. Uh, so it was only for a short period of time that he actually held an official position in the Prague Jewish community. And he was succeeded in his own lifetime by Reb Shleim Ephraim Lunchitz the Kliyakar. Although the Kliyakar, we know him today as that because of his very popular uh, p- commentary on Chumash, but in his own lifetime he was more well, well known for his oratory skills and his speeches, and that's expressed more in his Sefer, the Eilalais Ephraim. He wrote quite a few other Svarim as well. He's also buried in the old um, uh, Prague Jewish cemetery. Um, so the Maral passes away in Prague in 1609. He actually shares a gravestone with his wife, which is also uh, not at all that common for uh, Tzadikim's gravestones that we visit. Um, he, he he had many prominent students, including one fascinating one, Rabbi David Gantz, uh, who's known by one of his books, the Tzemach David, who's he's a fascinating story in his own right. Maybe we could even do an episode on him one day. But among many other, other, many other things, he was a historian who authored history books on both Jewish history and general history. And in the introduction to that second volume on general history, he explains why it's important to study general history as well as Jewish history. But in the, in the volume on Jewish history, he doesn't even bother explaining why it's important, because to him it was self-evident that we should study Jewish history. And uh, to him, he felt only the need to explain why it's important also, in addition to study general history. Also, another one who's supposedly a Talmud of the Maral, I think it might be disputed, uh, Rabbi Yemtiv Lippmann Halevi Heller, the Taisus Yantiv, who definitely lived in Prague, and I think, as far as I could tell, he was a student as well. I heard people dispute that. Um, either way, Prague was quite the place to be at this time. There were others. Uh, the Maral was, like I said, a social critic as well. He was challenged the status quo in education, Jewish education, in the method of Torah study, and especially in communal leadership. He was very much a man of the Jewish people and their needs, and he criticized the elitism of the rabbinical and the kahal establishment. This did not endear him to the establishment in his lifetime, and that is why at times in his life in Prague he did not have an official position. It was because he was not scared to express his views, what he felt was necessary. But it is part of his legacy through history as a component of his integrity and his truth and his upstanding reputation, which was uncompromising for what he perceived as just, which that integrity and that truth also comes across in his Tyra. So it's a major component of his personality and his public activism as well. And I think it fits well in with his overall uh, story. Of course, uh, what many people associate with him is the legend of him uh, creating a Gailam, which appeared more than two centuries after his passing, and of course never happened. Um, And it's always very disappointing for the groups that I guide in Prague when they discover that the Gailam story never happened, and I've been threatened with all kinds of things, with either being fired as a guide, or even 
more violent reactions on all the different trips. So I hope uh, I don't get any uh, of those violent threats here on the podcast. But as to explain his Tyra, that's not obviously not the area of my expertise, but there's lots out there explaining his approach and, and, and his worldview as it comes across through his many svarim, which are very popular. So if that's something you're interested in beyond the history of the Maral itself, then I highly recommend that you go ahead and seek that part of his story out as well. So this is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.